So for the last few weeks, we've been talking about, a couple weeks ago, we talked about how we, as Christ followers, relate to culture. And then last week, Jimmy preached and he, and he walked us through Paul's sermon in Acts 17 to the people of Athens, the Greeks that were there. And he sort of showed us a, a scriptural example of being culturally relevant and Christ-centered in a presentation of the gospel. This morning, what I wanted to do was I wanted to actually teach a message that is exactly that for us and where we sit in our culture today. And there's a couple, a couple reasons for that. One, for you who are Christ followers and believers, I want to give you a model that you can use, a way to connect with your evangelism with people. For those of you who are not Christ followers, I want to preach the gospel to you because it's the good news. It's the greatest thing you can ever hear. And then I want to have this message available on, on the True Life YouTube page, on the Acts Church page, whichever one you guys want to use, that when you are evangelizing to somebody, that you have something you can point them to and maybe walk through this message with them and proclaim the gospel to them by using this culturally relevant, Christ-centered presentation of the gospel. So that's what we're going to do this morning. If you have your Bibles, you can turn to Acts 17. We're going to be in verse 22 First part of verse 23, it says this. Then Paul stood in the midst of the Areopagus and said, Men of Athens, I perceive that in all things you are very religious. For as I was passing through and considering the objects of your worship, I even found an altar with this inscription, To the unknown God. Now the Greeks, according to a comment on the internet, so it must be true, um, that I found, Worshipped about 3,142 gods and goddesses in some form or another. I doubt anybody remembered all of their names. That would be tough to do. But just to make sure they didn't miss any of them, they put this altar out to the unknown god. And we are a little bit like them as a culture. It's not so much the idols that we don't want to miss. It's more that we have to cover our bases to make sure that we're giving respect to all the right causes and not offending anyone, right? We gotta, that's our thing. we got to make sure that we keep up on what to say or not to say to make sure that we aren't offending anyone and giving everybody the respect that they need. There's a number of causes. I just started listing them out as I was preparing the sermon, so I'm going to read a bunch of them to you. And they're from sort of both sides, all sides of the spectrum. Depending on who you're with, you better give the proper respect to these things, things like racial justice or colorblindness or climate justice or climate denial or healthcare justice or anti-government healthcare or pro-vaccine mandates or anti-vaccine anything or pro-war, anti-war, LGBTQIA+, that plus is the unknown gender, just so that you know, that's, that's kind of the same thing. That's what that's there for. Pro-traditional marriage and gender roles, uh, pro-equity or pro-merit, pro-abortion, Pro-life, pro-gun, anti-gun, woke, anti-woke, critical race theory, anti-critical race theory, pro-immigration, anti-integration. You just keep going, right? You guys are aware of these things. And of course, tolerance and acceptance. Unless you disagree, then none of that, right? Uh, Then you dox and you cancel and you shame. And that's the culture that we live in. We got to be careful that we get all the known and the unknown, depending on the group of people that you're with. Because as you probably have picked up, you can't win this game. And when you lose, the mob on one side or the other, or this one or that one or whatever, will come down on you like a ton of bricks. I don't know if you've noticed this. I live in the Portland, Oregon area. I live on the Washington side, praise the Lord. Don't go to Portland, okay? I mean, unless you want to be a missionary, and then be ready. It's pretty rough. It's pretty rough there. Um, But I live there, and if I was to take, say, a soda can, and I was to walk down the street, and I didn't find one of the many recycling things and put it in the recycling, and instead I had put it in the trash, they just execute you. Right there on the street, no trial. Just that is that's the worst thing you could ever do, right? That's the way it is. Um, and you know how this is, right? Because uh, if I'm from Tennessee and I try to find a re- do you know where a recycling bin is? People are like, what are you, from the West Coast or something? What? I don't do that. We're burning coal in the backyard. Well, you're not going to, you know. Just see what happens if you go to like New York City. You go to a group of PTA moms and say, I'm not vaccinated. And they start running and screaming and they're throwing masks on their kids, they're like 50 masks, putting them in bubbles, like that's how they are there. But if you come to East Tennessee and you go to a bunch of homeschool moms and say that you are vaccinated, they freak out, they douse you with essential oils, they start, (laughs) 
screaming, right, about Bill Gates and globalism and, you know, protecting their kids. Don't touch my kids and Lysol. It's just a bad, or thieves oil, whatever they're using, right? That's the, some of you are laughing and some of the moms I see are like, no, that's, that's true. I'm getting their oil ready to just do it right here. <laughs> Things can get rough if you step on the wrong toes. We are religious in our beliefs, just like the Greeks in Athens. And we are religious about more and more and more things. We are getting more religious as a culture, not less. Now, that religion may be way off the base, but we are becoming more religious. This is what Merriam-Webster.com defines religion as. One, a personal set or institutionalized system of religious attitudes. So something you just believe for yourself or something you believe with a group of religious attitudes, beliefs, and practices. Two, the service and worship of God or the supernatural. Three, this one is important, a cause, principle, or system of beliefs held to with ardor and faith. So this can be personal. This can just be you and the things that you believe. It can be institutionalized. It can be about God or it can just be about a cause, principle, or system of beliefs that you hold to with ardor and faith. So I looked up ardor because I'm not that smart. I didn't know what that meant. This is what the dictionary, same dictionary said. It says, an often restless or transitory warmth of feeling, extreme vigor or energy, intensity, the ardor of a true believer, or zeal, or loyalty. So ask yourself this question. Are there any personal or institutionalized causes, principles, or systems of belief held to by people with intensity and zeal and ardor and faith and loyalty and all those things. Yeah, like every one of those things I listed, some person or group of people is holding to those with religious fervor. Religious fervor. It is religious, according to the dictionary. Basically, any of those things people have become religious about. But being more religious as a society, which is what we've become, according to the clear dictionary definition, uh, doesn't mean we're getting closer to thinking more clearly. I think that's probably pretty obvious, right? We're not getting closer to clearer thinking. But here is why. Here's why we're getting more religious, if you're wondering. We're getting more religious because people are looking for purpose. They're looking for purpose. They want their lives to mean something. They want to protect what is right because they don't feel it. If you know very many people in sort of the Gen Z and millennial generations, they are struggling for purpose. They're struggling for purpose. That's why they spend all their time doing the video game thing or the TikTok. People just just all day on the TikTok thing. Found out yesterday apparently there's a new disease that's happening mostly to young women who are on TikTok a lot where their face starts to have a tick. Because they're literally looking at TikTok so much that something happens to their face. We're calling it the TikTok tick. That's not the official thing. It's real. I'm not, it's not just a joke. Pretty good one. But it's not just a joke. This is real. Why are they doing that? Why are they spending their time in all these things? Because they don't feel like they have a purpose. They don't feel like they have a purpose. And so they pick up a cause or a system of beliefs or whatever it is. And they hold it with religious fervor. Because all the people on all the sides of all the issues, normally speaking, in most cases, they think they're morally right in what they believe. They think they're doing the moral thing in what they are fighting about. They usually think they are arguing for the side of the cause that protects the innocent and the vulnerable and the oppressed and brings more peace and comfort and love into the world. That's what they believe. No matter which side they're on, they believe that. The pro-life advocate wants to save innocent children, right? That's the belief that they have. The pro-choice advocate often believes that they're protecting women, that they're helping women who have traditionally been oppressed and had to deal with stuff. They think that they're helping them. That's what they believe. That's what they believe. Pro-immigration advocate wants to help the poor and the oppressed, the stranger, to give them a place to be able to come. The anti-immigration person wants to make sure they're protecting their family and their town and their country and making sure that they're economically viable and that people are okay. In both cases, they're trying to do the thing that they think is right. 
the climate justice advocate, wants to make sure they're stewarding the earth. The anti-climate person wants to make sure that the economy isn't destroyed so no one can feed their families. In, in each case, they're trying to do the thing that they think is right. The intention is, I want to have a purpose and I want to do a thing that's good that brings love and justice and peace into the world. Now, some people are obviously wrong. They're obviously wrong about the calculus that they did to get there. But that is what they think they're doing. Some of you might be thinking, no, there's no, there's no possible way that a person who believes X, Y, Z could possibly be trying to do the right thing. They're a bad person. Those are bad people. Now, the truth is, is that they really are trying to do the thing. They may be wrong about X, Y, and Z, but they really are trying to do the right thing. But you're also right. They're bad people. They are. We all are. We're sinful people. According to the book of Romans, Romans 3.23, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Every one of us, you, them, everybody, we've all sinned. We've all sinned. And there are correct answers to these questions. All those things that I read, there's a correct side or there's a correct position to hold. In some cases, we know the correct position, and it's clear. In some, we don't know yet. There's not enough information, whatever it may be. But there is a correct that God knows the right answer to all of those questions. He knows the right answer. But my point here isn't to judge the answers to those issues. I could spend a sermon on every one of those things that I just read about. Right? My point is that the people on each side are advocating for what they think is right. C.S. Lewis in Mere Christianity writes this. Everyone has heard people quarreling. Sometimes it sounds funny, and sometimes it sounds merely unpleasant. But however it sounds, I believe we can learn something very important from listening to the kind of things they say. They say things like this. How would you like it if anyone did the same to you? That's my seat. I was there first. Leave him alone. He isn't doing you any harm. Why should you shove in first? Give me a bit of your orange. I gave you a bit of mine. It's kind of an English one. I don't think I would say it that way. I gave you a bit of my orange, but that's he's English, so it makes sense, right? Um, come on, you promised. People say things like that every day. Educated people as well as uneducated and children as well as grown-ups. Now, what interests me about all these remarks is that the man who makes them is not merely saying that the other man's behavior does not happen to please him. He is appealing to some kind of standard of behavior, which he expects the other man to know about. It looks, in fact, very much as if both parties had in mind some kind of law or rule of fair play or decent behavior or morality or whatever you like to call it, about which they really agreed. And they have. If they had not, they could not quarrel in the human sense of the word. Quarreling means trying to show that the other man is in the wrong, and there would be no sense in trying to do that unless you and he had some sort of agreement as to what right and wrong are. Our culture is very religious. We are intensely zealous and intensely loyal to the causes, principles, and systems of belief that we hold. But... We have lost our anchor. We have lost our foundation. We've lost the foundation for why, why we hold to these causes and principles and systems of belief. We've lost him. We've lost God. So we have all of these people with religious fervor running around screaming at each other, but they have lost the foundation of why anything would be right or wrong in the first place. And so, as Paul said to the Athenians in Greece almost 2,000 years ago, I say to you, Acts 7, 23b, the last part of the verse, therefore the one whom you worship without knowing him, I proclaim to you. That's your job, to proclaim to those who want to do what's right the reason that they want to do what's right. One thing we still all seem to agree on for the most part are things like being pro-children. We want to take care of children, a pro-love, pro-justice. Now, depending on how you define each one of those things, most people are for all those things. We can kind of agree. The problem is that we want to hold views about love and justice and peace and joy and good relationships, or even good in general, while we deny their only possible source. We want to say this is love and this is justice and this is peace, but deny God. In school, we teach an atheistic view of creation and biology in science class. And then we go to history class and we teach that we were right to go in and defeat the Germans in World War II. But the problem is those two things can't be true. Because if there's an atheistic view of biology 
and creation, in other words, there was no creator, then there is meaninglessness, and we couldn't, it means nothing to say we were right or that they were right. That would be a meaningless thing. We would all just be doing whatever we did because there would be no God. So they're conflicting. In health class, or science, health science, according to Science Daily, Daily uh, on the internet, um, one of the articles said, males' upper bodies on average have 75% more muscle mass and 90% more strength than females. So we teach that in one class, but then they go to gym class and we go, it doesn't matter. There's no such thing as male and female. And if you want to play with these ones or you want to play with those ones, you decide. But those two things are in conflict with one another, right? And, and we get crazy, conflicting thoughts. And we do that because we're holding views without understanding the foundation. And if you don't have the foundation right, you're going to go sideways. Something's going to be wrong with your thinking if you're holding conflicting views on all kinds of things. And that's where we are as a culture. You can't have mutually exclusive views of the same thing. Either talk about atheistic evolutionary biology or talk about what was right in World War II, but you can't have them both. You can't have them both. You can talk about the science of male and female bodies, or you can push for men to play women's sports, but you can't have them both. You can't have them both. The only right foundation is God and what he has revealed to us in the scriptures and in his only begotten son, Jesus Christ, and what he teaches us through the Holy Spirit. John 14, 6 says this, Jesus said to him, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. That's a powerful statement. It's a powerful statement. Let me just tell you something. Without a way, without Jesus, we are just wandering in darkness. Without the truth, without Jesus, we are just ignorant and afraid because ignorance causes fear. And there is no life in darkness and ignorance and fear. There is only life in Jesus Christ. There is life. There is life in Jesus Christ, but without him, it's not there. You have to understand without, that without God, there is no reason to believe that any of the things you think are right are right. In fact, the idea of right itself has no meaning without God. It has no meaning at all. There is no reason to believe there is any way or purpose for your life. Because without God, there's no right, there's no wrong, there's no nothing. You can't be right about the idea that racism is evil any more than you can be wrong about it if there's no God. Atheist, atheist thought leaves no room for purpose, justice, love, or value. And agnosticism, which lots of people say they're agnostics these days, that's just the coward's atheism, right? Because you're basically saying there's no God, but you just, don't, you just can't go all the way to saying I'm an atheist. But there must be a standard. There must be a standard, and if there is a standard, that standard has to, must, come from God. If there is a moral law, there is a moral law giver. There's no idea of a moral law that just floats in space and somehow binds you to anything. That doesn't make any sense. The only way it works is if there's a God who gave the moral law, and if he didn't, then you are talking nonsense when you talk about what's right. And all your religious fervor for all these causes and these systems of belief these principles are meaningless. They're meaningless. Pearl Jam writes in the song, Love Boat Captain. This is what, this is what they write. Because to the universe, I don't mean a thing. And there's just one word I still believe, and it's love. Now, I think they're probably atheists or agnostics, but they realize that the world, the universe, all of that, those are just cold realities. They cannot do anything for them. They do not care for them. That's what they recognize. And so they just, they just say, you know what? I believe that there's love. They stick with the thing that they still believe in. Same thing that John Lennon and the Beatles wrote about. All you need is love, right? Love, love is all you need. That's free. Um, now, why does that resound and resonate with our culture? And yet, there seems to be more hate, more anger than ever. When's the last day that we didn't have a mass shooting? 
You know, when's the last day that you couldn't turn on cable news and see two people in little boxes on things screaming at each other? There's a lot of hate. There's a lot of anger. But we say that all we need is love. And everybody goes, yeah, all we need is love. But they don't live like it because they aren't giving the proper source and standard for what love is. We want love, but we also want to be in charge. We want love, but we also want to do whatever we want to do. And those things don't work because love comes from one place, and that is God. 1 John 4, 4 through 11. You are of God, little children, and have overcome them because he who is in you is greater than he who is in the world. They are of the world, therefore they speak as of the world, and the world hears them. That's all the love is this and love is that, things that it's not. We are of God. He who knows God hears us. He who is not of God does not hear us. By this we know the spirit of truth and the spirit of error. Beloved, this is important. Let us love one another, for love is of God. And everyone who loves is born of God and knows God. He who does not love does not know God, for God is love. In this, the love of God was manifested toward us, that God has sent his only begotten son into the world, that we might live through him. In this is love, not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. Beloved, if God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. Later in the chapter, uh, verse 17, love has been perfected among us in this, that we may have boldness in the day of judgment. Because that's coming. Because as he is, so are we in this world. There is no fear in love, but perfect love casts out fear because fear involves torment. But he who fears has not been made perfect in love. We love him because he first loved us. There is only one source of love. There is only one standard for love. Without God, we would not know what love is. It is only through him and his word that he has given us what we know about love. You can't do it without the scripture. You can't do it without the scripture. We know this from our own experiences. People have said, have used the word love to justify all kinds of things. People have left their families and said, oh, it was love. I followed my heart. I followed love. Nope, that wasn't your heart that you followed, right? People have abused their children and said, it's love. It's because I love them. I have to do it this way, right? People have done all kinds of things and called them love that aren't love because they don't follow the standard of the only one who defines love, and that's God. Simply saying the word love does not create a new standard. There's a whole group of people that use the term love is love, which, of course, must be true, right? Chair is chair. Profound, right? What they're really trying to say is that this thing that I want to call love is love, Right? But then they just do what we call a tautology and say, love is love. To which I say, two is two. You know, we just do this all day, right? But that's the thing. People pervert what love is to fit whatever they want to do because we all know that love is good, but they want to get rid of the God that is love and call the love something that it's not. If you believe in love, love that is real, love that means something, then you must believe in God. Because he is the only possible source of love. You have to understand that. He's the only possible source of love. If there is such a thing as love, as justice, as hope, as peace, good, right? Any of those things. If any of those things exist, they must exist because there is a God who created the world. If he did not create the world and we are hurtling through space, we're just you know, animals just doing the thing that happened because this thing became that thing and whatever, then there's no such thing as love and it's stupid to talk about it. It's stupid to talk about it. You should survival the fittest. The strong ones take out the weak ones. The weak ones go away. The strong ones make babies who are strong and that's how, that is, that is the atheistic idea, but there's no love. There's no good. There's no bad. There's just what is. There is no ought. There only is, is. Jesus Christ showed us love by dying for our sins. And he did it when we didn't love him. When we were rebels against God. It is the total opposite of that story I just told you. That story that you hear in biology class about natural selection, survival of the fittest. Jesus Christ 
is God in the flesh. You want to talk about fit? He's the fittest, if there's such a thing. And yet, he wasn't the one who was trying to survive, even though he's all-powerful. He could have done whatever he wanted. You have to understand, God comes down to earth. This is why we celebrate at Christmas, the incarnation. He's God. There is nothing on this earth that he did not create. Every one of you he created. So that means when he was walking around, he was like, I created you, I created you, that's my tree, that's my rock, that's my mountain. And people were harsh to him. He was a man of sorrows. They wanted to kill him. They ended up doing that. And they're all people that he created. He was as fit as they come. He could have just been like, okay, done. I made it. You know, it's classic what your dad might have said to you when you're, I brought you into the world, I can take you out, right? He could have done that anytime he wanted and would have been justified in doing so because we are evil, but he didn't. Glenn Scrivener in his book, The Air We Breathe, How We All Came to Believe in Freedom, Kindness, Progress, and Equality, he writes this, if natural selection means the survival of the fittest and the sacrifice of the weakest, Christianity is about the sacrifice of the fittest, Jesus Christ, for the survival of the weakest, us. It is the opposite story. And nobody listens to the story of survival of the fittest of evolution and Christ. Like, oh, that's so beautiful. You see how they're all eating each other and then that. Nobody's like, oh, that's so beautiful. But everybody responds. Everybody responds to the story of the love of Jesus Christ. Why is that? Because one is true, one is false. One shows love, one shows nothingness. Which one do you want to live your life for? When you are fighting with religious ardor, advocating for your social and political beliefs and all those kinds of things. You are being religious. You're fighting for what you think is right. You're fighting for what you think is love. But all of it comes, all of it. Hear me if you're not a Christ follower here. As Christ followers, you probably know this, but if you're not a Christ follower, listen to this. All of it comes and has been learned from a culture that has been saturated with the life and teachings of Jesus Christ. That's why you have an idea that things are good or bad. Because Jesus didn't stay dead. He died for us and he rose on the third day. The resurrection. Jesus Christ rose from the dead. He defeated death and hell and Satan and he proved that he was Lord and God. It is because of his resurrection. It is because of his resurrection that you believe in equality. Do you think anybody in the first century was taught about equality? That wasn't a thing. You would have said equality of all, and people would have been like, are you insane? Nobody believed that. The things that people said that philosophers and so on said about women or about people who they thought of as not as smart or not as this or not as that. Or, or If you were a baby born in the Roman world in the first century and they wanted a boy and you were a girl or they wanted a kid that didn't have a problem and you had some sort of problem, they just threw you out on the trash heap to die or for somebody to pick up and make a slave out of you, or a sex slave, or something like that. They didn't care. There was no equality. What they thought of as love, completely different. You would not think about equality were it not for the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Whether you're a Christ follower or not, that concept is from Christ. A concept that our society is religiously committed to, and I agree with, because it came from Jesus. It's because the resurrection power of God and Jesus Christ that you care about your neighbor or about the immigrant or about the widow or about the orphan or about health care or about education for all. Those are not things that they were caring about prior to Jesus. That was not a thing. It is the teachings of the Bible, the Word of God, where you find any of the morality that you agree with that you're arguing about, and you will not find it consistently anywhere else. That's why when people look at the Bible and they go, well, I like this part, but I don't like that part. I like this part, but I don't like that part. Well, all of us do that, right? The Bible should be pushing up against us. But some people go, since I don't like that part, what I'll do is I'll find some way to interpret it so it doesn't really say what it says. And what happens is when you do that, there's a guy at, at, at uh, one of the elders at Acts Church named Dr. David Robinson. No relation, but the same name. And he says that when you do that, the scripture falls to dust in your hands. You've got nothing left. Once you break the standard, the standard no longer works. And so that's what we've tried to do. That's what we keep trying to do. Have the thing we want, but not the thing we don't want. But you take it all or you take none of it. That's the way it goes. 
God is in control. He is in charge. He's the one who created you. He's the one who knows what's best for you. He's the one who gets to decide. That's how it works. You certainly will not find anywhere else in any other system a God who loves you and values you, made you in his image and likeness, died for you, rose again, and gives you grace. Gives grace to the humble. Ephesians 2, 4 through 9. But God who was rich in mercy because of his great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved. And raised us up together and made us sit together in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. That in the ages to come he might show the exceeding riches of his grace in his kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. For by grace you have been saved through faith. And that not of yourselves, it is the gift of God, not of works, lest anyone should boast. It is God, it is God who can save you through the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. And God who can give you purpose and meaning for eternity. There is no other system of belief on this planet, nor has there ever been, that is anything like the story, the truth of Christ's death and resurrection and grace. And grace. You don't earn it. Every other system you go to, you got to earn it. You better do the thing. You better do the thing. If you don't do the thing, now you're back down here and you got to do whatever. You know, you can be one of the ones where you got to where you got to reincarnate every time and like, "Oh, you messed up there. I guess you're going to be a worm next time." You have to I don't know how the worm works his way up to the next thing. Okay? That doesn't it's never made a lot of sense to me. Like, well, I'm going to be a butterfly. Okay. They live like three days, okay? They're pretty, but whatever. And then how do you earn your way up to being a bobcat? I don't know how it works, okay? But all of that stuff is based on what do you do? What do you do for me? And Jesus says, no, no, no. It's about what I did for you. It is a completely different thing. Next part of the passage, next verse, Ephesians 2.10. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. You are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus because all things were created through the Son. We read this in the first chapter of the Gospel of John. All things were made by him. Without him, they were all made by him through him. Without him, nothing was made that has been made. That's why when he was walking around on earth, he's like, yeah, I made you, I made you. You probably shouldn't talk to me like that. I made you, I made you right? He, that's, that's him. He's made everything, including you. And what has he made you for? He's prepared good works for you beforehand. Before he said go, before let there be light, before any of that, he thought about you and prepared good works for you beforehand. You have a purpose. But without that, you don't. You can't make one. You can't create one. You can't make your own God and you can't make your own purpose. He has a purpose for you. Walk in it or walk without purpose. Walk in the way, the truth, and the life, or walk in darkness and fear and ignorance and death. Those are your choices. He's always talking about the two ways and the two roads. You can do the thing you want to do, or you can do the thing you ought to do. And in one of them, there is love and joy and peace and grace. If Jesus didn't rise from the dead, if that's not true, there is no purpose. There is no meaning. There is no love. There is no forgiveness. There is only death. The Holy Spirit inspires Paul to write this in 1 Corinthians 15, 14 through 20. And if Christ is not risen, then our preaching is empty. And your faith is also empty. Yes, and we are found false witnesses of God because we have testified that God of God that he raised up Christ, whom he did not raise up if in fact the dead do not rise. For if the dead do not rise, then Christ is not risen. And if Christ is not risen, your faith is futile. It's worthless. It's going nowhere. You're still in your sins. Then also those who have fallen asleep, those who have died in Christ, have perished. If in this life only we have hope in Christ, we are of all men the most pitiable. Pitiable. What are we doing? What are you doing here? You could be watching football. I mean, that's over. Super Bowl, whatever happened. I don't know. I'm not a hockey guy. But you guys, you guys could be doing something that's pretty nice today, I guess. Go for a hike, do whatever. Why are you wasting your time here if Christ didn't rise from the dead? Because you're wasting your time. You're pitiable. We're pitiable if we're sitting here in this room worshiping God, but Jesus didn't rise from the dead. 
But he did, right? But now Christ is risen from the dead and has become the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. Later in the chapter, 1 Corinthians 15, 32, the last part of the verse, B. If the dead do not rise, let us eat, drink, eat and drink, for tomorrow we die. That's where you're at, okay? This is, this is as simple as I can put it. If the scientists who claim that the world popped into existence, you know how that happens, right? It happens all the time. Worlds pop into existence. If the world popped into existence and that we're just an accident, if they're right, then eat and drink because tomorrow you die. You got nothing to live for, you might as well get all you can because there's nothing else left. People who get real wrapped up in like their legacy, what they're going to leave behind and whatever, that's because they don't think there is anything, right? But if you think there's something, if you think there's purpose, if you think there's love, then you don't eat and drink for tomorrow you die. You're living eternally. I'm living right now eternally. I'm already there. I'm here, but I'm there. This is it. I'm in it. Yeah, I got to deal with the world and the darkness that's out there. That's true. That's what I have you for. That's what you have me for. We walk through that because we are Christ. We are his hands and feet. We are the body of Christ. So we do that. But I'm, I'm already there. I'm going to step from here to there, and it's going to be the same thing. I'm in him. Yes, it's face-to-face then, and I'm looking forward to that like you don't know. I wish, I wish that could happen right now. Let's go. It's, no, rapture's not yet. But maybe. We'll see how it goes. I'm already there. I'm already living it. I'm already living it. I'm not thinking, let's eat and drink for tomorrow we die. I'm thinking, let's live for Christ today and forever. The scientists and the philosophers of this age, they can't tell you anything about anything that you actually care about. The things you actually care about, love and justice and peace and joy, relationship, they can't tell you anything about that. Who cares if scientists and engineers can make an iPhone if when I call my mom and say I love you, that doesn't mean anything? Because they're right about the world being meaningless. That I don't care about this. Eat and drink for tomorrow I die. If going to a wedding is meaningless, then going to the moon is meaningless. Science does not solve problems that you actually care about. They can make some things easier. They can explain some things. But they can't tell you who God is. They can't tell you why love means something. They can't tell you why you're moved at the birth of your child. They can't tell you why you love your wife or your husband. They can't tell you why the relationships that you have in this church are valuable. They can't tell you why something's right or wrong. They, can't, they can do this. That's about it. That's about what they can do. Not that there's anything wrong with that. Make your iPhones. Go to the moon. But if everything else is meaningless, I really don't care. I'll eat and drink for tomorrow I die. What are we looking for? We're looking for God. That's what our culture is looking for. Looking for love, for true acceptance, for true purpose. And all of that is only found in Christ. Jesus is not one choice among many that you can choose for yourself. That is absolute prideful, evil nonsense. He is not one choice among many. He is the only way to the Father. He is the way, the truth, and the life. And if you want to deny that, you deny him. You are an atheist, regardless of who you believe in. You believe in this God, you believe in that God. Unless you believe in the one true God, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, you're, you're an atheist as to what's true. There's one way. And if he is not the way, then there is nothing, because he's the only one who rose from the dead. All the things you believe in, you're not going to find them anywhere else. Even the things you're wrong about are based on the things that you're right about because of the resurrection of Jesus and his teachings and the word of God that you actually believe in whether you're a Christian or not in many ways. You're wrong if you believe that abortion is morally okay, but you're right that women are equal in value to men and that their rights are important. You just got the calculus wrong somewhere on the way there because children in the womb are important too. But it's only true that any of those things are true if it's true that we are made in the image and likeness of God who does love women and babies and doesn't want us to kill innocent children but also doesn't want us to oppress women. Our job is to, is to find the way to do both. That's the biblical way. But the reason that you believe either one is built in the Scriptures. No one else was saying women were valuable. It's Jesus that said that. That's why you believe it in the first place. 
You've got to borrow from Scripture to even make your arguments that go against it. You can't do anything without him. If you get rid of God, you cannot maintain or retain your moral beliefs. That's where they come from. Any more than you can argue that God is wrong about what is moral. Again, from Mary Christianity, C.S. Lewis says, there's a difficulty about disagreeing with God, you think? He is a source from which all your reasoning power comes. The fact that you can reason is clearly a miracle. Some of you more a miracle than others. Is that right? That's a, <laughs> it's clearly a miracle. It clearly comes from God. So when you're disagreeing with God, he's a source from which all your reasoning power comes. C.S. Lewis says, writes, you could not be right and he wrong any more than a stream can rise higher than its own source. When you are arguing against him, you are arguing against the very power that makes you able to argue at all. It is like cutting off the branch you are sitting on. I see people do this all the time. They want to say, this is, this is what I believe, this is right, and you're wrong about it. You're a bigot and you're a whatever, depending on which side you're on, right? The, you're the blah. And my thing is like, you can't even argue for that, for the equality of people or whatever it is that you're arguing with, without using the roots and the tree that have grown up from the resurrection power of Jesus Christ and his teachings. And so as you tell me that I'm wrong, you're cutting off the branch that you sit on. Then when you fall, you've got nowhere. What standard do you have? None. You're either believing in Jesus and asking him what's right, or you're making up moral commands that you got from him in the first place that you borrowed and used the wrong way. And all your religion, all the things you fight on social media about, all the things that you stop talking to Uncle Bill about at Thanksgiving, right? You know, you know what I'm saying. It may not be Bill, but it might be Bill. It could be whoever, <laughs> right? Block on Facebook, whatever. Like, I don't want to hear that anymore. And all these things, you're relying on truths that can only come from a God who created the world and has both a plan and a purpose for you and for the world. If it's not for him, if it's not for the resurrection, stop bothering about what Uncle Bill thinks. It's meaningless and what you think is meaningless. If it's not meaningless, then God is real. And Jesus Christ did rise from the dead. And he's right here for you right now. As Paul told the people on Mars Hill, Acts 17, 27, so that they should seek the Lord in the hope that they might grope for him and find him, though he is not far from each one of us. He is right here, right now. Watching online, here in the room, wherever. He is right here, right now for you. John Mayer is waiting on the world to change, but God, he's waiting on your heart to change. Stop waiting on the world to change. You are the one who has works that God has prepared beforehand that you should walk in him that are good works. How about have your heart change, know Jesus, and then have eternity with Jesus? Everlasting life for those who believe in him. Regardless of your past, it doesn't matter what you've done, where you've been, who you were before, it doesn't matter any of that. He died and rose again that you might have life and have it more abundantly. He's been patient with you. But now is the time. As Paul also preached to the men at Athens, Acts 17, 30-31. Truly these times of ignorance God has overlooked, but now commands all men everywhere to repent because he has appointed a day on which he will judge the world of righteousness by the man whom he has ordained. He has given assurance of this to all by raising him from the dead. Today is the day of salvation. Today is the day of salvation. Stop running. You are not smarter than God. You're not. I'm certainly not. I'm not smarter than many, but I'm sure not smarter than God. You cannot create your own religion. You have to borrow from God to even get the morality you use to justify the things that you fight against the Scripture on. Stop borrowing pieces of the story and denying the author and rejecting him. Now is the time to become a son or daughter of the king. Now. You are not God. You cannot create God for yourself. You cannot create a religious system for yourself. All attempts at that have failed. From ancient tries at that to modern tries at that, they've all been a miserable failure. In the modern era, which is like the 1600s through about 1950, people thought they had figured it out. Science, the age of enlightenment, that was all coming. They're like, we're going to figure this out. We're going to figure out how all people can live peacefully with one another. Like, if we just keep thinking about it, we'll solve it. We can solve it. And then World War I comes, 1914, and millions die. 
And they go, mm, maybe we're not solving it. And then World War II comes, and I don't remember what percentage of the world dies in World War II, and they go, yeah, we're not going to solve it. And then they said, there is no truth. Believe whatever you want to believe. Live your truth, whatever. That's worked great too, by the way. Every time we try to do it ourselves, every time we take from God what is his, the lordship, the kingship, whenever we do that, we go wrong. And you, if you are not a Christ follower, you are doing that right now. That's the darkness of your own heart, that you think you know better than God, that you think you can have his truth, his standard, his love, his morality without him. You can have the kingdom without the king. It is not going to happen. It is not going to happen. Stop borrowing pieces of the story and rejecting the author. Stop. Become a son or daughter of the king. If you want to live in joy and peace and the power of the Holy Spirit to conquer fear, I mean, how much fear is there in the world right now? I just rest in him because I'm his. But if you're out there doing your own thing, you're not his. And judgment is coming. And he's been patient, but now is the time. I want you to have hope. Now is the time to follow Jesus. Get rid of that fear. Have the Holy Spirit. Live in joy and live in peace. John 3, 16, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. That is why he came to those who he made and he created and allowed them to abuse him and treat him poorly and kill him on a cross. He did it for what? That you, whoever believes in him, should not perish but have everlasting life. That is love. That is the love of God. If you want an example, if you want to go, okay, I'm not sure what this person said about love or that person said about love. If you want to see true love that no one can deny, it is that the Son of God died for you when he made you and he did not have to do it. Romans 6, 23, for the wages of sin is death. That's what you've earned. Your sinfulness, your rebellion, you've earned death. That's justice. But, the rest of the verse says, but the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. That's love. Brothers, sisters, men and women, that's love. 1 John 1, 9, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. You can be clean, white as snow. Right now, today, praise God that every day I can get up and however many times during the day I need to, that I can come to him and confess my sin and he makes me clean. He doesn't throw me away. He doesn't say, okay, now you gotta earn this or now you gotta earn that or now you gotta do this or now you gotta do that because by grace I've been saved and by grace I have been forgiven and he will do that for you. And there is no one else and no other system in this world that talks like that. You will not find it. And yet you know that it has to be true because if it's not, we are hopeless. I can't do it myself. You can't do it yourself. That's why we need Jesus Christ. That's why he took on your sin on the cross. All of it. And if you confess your sins, he's faithful and just to forgive your sins and cleanse you from all unrighteousness. Romans 10, 9 through 10. This is about salvation right here. But if you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus... And believe in your heart that God has raised him from the dead. You will be saved. Not you might be saved. Not you'll be saved unless you mess up. Not you'll be saved, but if you wear the wrong thing to church or you say the wrong thing or oops, you yelled at that guy when he cut in front of you, then you're not saved now. But No, you will be saved. For with the heart one believes unto righteousness. You've got to believe it in your heart. And with the mouth confession is made unto salvation that Jesus is Lord. And then you live it. You're not going to be perfect in it. As you live in a fallen world, you've got a broken body. But you live it, and you keep that First John 1, 9. Confess your sins. He's faithful and just. Cleansing us from all unrighteousness. Forgiving us. That's it. God is here for you. If you're not a Christ follower, and you're feeling that yearning in your heart right now, that is the Holy Spirit of God drawing you. Don't reject God. He has been patient, but we are at the end of the age and judgment is coming. One day he is going to take us out. He is going to take the church and the power of the Holy Spirit that has been on the earth since Pentecost, that is the reason that people believe the things they believe, going to be gone. And then it's all going downhill. 
So seek the Lord while he may be found. You don't know that you're not going to die tonight. 2 Corinthians 6.2. For he says, in an acceptable time I have heard you. And in the day of salvation I have helped you. Behold, now is the accepted time. Behold, now is the day of salvation. Let's pray. Father, I ask you to work in power. For those of us that believe and are followers of you, Lord, that you would take this that we've just talked about and that you would put it in our heart in a way that we can bring it to others. Lord, we need to be evangelists. People need to be saved like I have been, a wicked man that you saved. God, if there are people here today that don't know you, I pray you would draw them to yourself. Let them be saved. Let us see them baptized in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit as we saw with Mario today. God, you are so good. I thank you for every breath that I have. I thank you for our families, our husbands, our wives, our children. Just you, Lord, that we can look to you no matter what happens, no matter who betrays us, no matter how dark the world gets, no matter how angry people are, no matter what's going on or the fears that are of the world, that we cannot fear anything. No guilt in life, no fear in death. This is the power of Christ in me. Lord, save your people. We know the time of the Gentiles is coming to an end. I pray that you would have revival for us before that. Bring revival, Lord. Bring many people to you confessing sin, repenting, and receiving your Holy Spirit. Being baptized in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, and being taught all that you have commanded, because, lo, you are with us always, even to the end of the age. Amen. If you need to talk to somebody, or you want to accept Jesus Christ this morning, find one of the elders that's, that's around here, or come talk to me, or find, find some, really, a lot of people in this church can help you with that. Turn to your neighbor, do what you need to do. Do not walk out of this room today if you are not saved without finding salvation in Jesus Christ. You guys have a wonderful week. I will see you next Sunday morning.